Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. This is a part of uh, the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples when they say to him privately, tell us, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so there's a lot of (laughs) um, joining together of things that may or may not happen at the same time. But when he's discussing all of this, uh, it's what we will read in verses 36 to 44. And before we get to that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word to receive your word into our hearts and our lives as seed being planted in good soil, or that it would produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what's sold, what has been sown. Lord, we pray that those of us who have ears will hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus says, But about that day or hour, No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Then turning to Second Peter Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Peter also talking about uh, what to watch out for with what all is coming. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct, and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that's pretty cheery stuff, right? 
do you feel do you feel encouraged this morning? Um, it's going to get darker before <laughs> before we're finished. Um, but this is the um, the kind of darkness where it's excuse me uh, the kind of darkness that is like a dark tunnel that definitely has light at the other end, um, and that actually is leading to something very good. So stick stick with us as we go through this. Um, we're looking this morning at Genesis chapter 7, and this is at a time when, um, well, when there was a major weather event that caused significant disruption in the lives of people <laughs> all over the place. I don't know if you've ever experienced a weather disruption in your life. I'm kidding. This week has been a crazy weather disruption, hasn't it? Very out of the ordinary. The way that uh, things were two weeks ago and the way things were this past week, it was like night and day. It was completely different. Uh, We were, I think, at 71 degrees. You could have the windows open and everything was lovely. And then the next week, we're like at two. And you should not have your windows open. (laughs) And, uh, And it happened so quickly. Now, we have forecasts today, and we can see kind of what's coming and make preparations and that sort of thing. Uh, Can you imagine if this had happened, if we'd been living through this exact same event 100 years ago? I think it would have been a lot different, and partly because of just the difference in forecast. We would have been caught unprepared. This time period right now is the first Sunday, actually, of a season called Lent, and it is a time of kind of taking stock of our lives as we prepare for Easter and as we prepare once again to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and our own future resurrection. We are, we are taking this time specifically uh, as a way of being prepared the forecast is there. <laughs> we don't want to be caught unprepared. What we're going to look at, though, is not just 100 years ago, but a lot more years ago than that, at people who were caught unprepared by a major weather event. This one specifically actually being caused um, by what we looked at last week, which was uh, the way in which people had been <sighs> vandalizing God's good creation, the way that they had been destroying what he had created and were just tearing it apart. And so uh, as we started with his good creation in the beginning, and then we see with Adam and Eve, uh, sin entering the picture and where everything kind of goes from there and where it has gone is uh, they are removed from having access to the tree of life. So now death is going to be in their future And that is what seems to be in the future for all their descendants as well, as it just continues to spiral down and down and down. And we have this cycle of vengeance and retaliation and violence, and it just gets worse and worse until we saw in chapter 6 of Genesis um, the line. Yeah, this is 6-5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's getting pretty far down the spiral, isn't it? (laughs) And it was for this reason 
then that he says, all right, enough. And so he says he's going to destroy uh, the world through a flood. And that is what we looked at last week was the uh, before the flood. This week we're looking at the flood itself. Next week we'll look at the after the flood. So this week is Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. And as we've done in some of the chapters before this one, I just want to point out before we even read it out loud, there's a lot of repetition. A lot of repeated words, repeated phrases, repeated ideas. Listen for them. You won't catch all of them. But catch as many as you can this first time through. And if you want to go back and see how many you can find, uh, that would be time well spent. This is Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 24. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark. You and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day, of the second month. On that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, Every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. I told you it's going to get kind of dark. Now we have... uh, We've seen the reason the flood was being brought. Did anybody catch any repetition as we read through that? 
Anybody? Go ahead and call out a couple of things that you noticed. What were some of the things you noticed that were repeated? Male and female. Why does that keep getting repeated? That's a thing. Seven. Yeah, there's seven several times. Mm-hmm. Seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. Yeah, the commanded part shows up a few times in there. According to its kind, shows up way more than you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's, that's good for now. Um, there are quite a few others. As I said, you're not going to catch them all right here. One of them that shows up quite a bit is the, or a few times anyway, is the 40 days and 40 nights. Kind of used to that. That's, that's a theme <laughs> that goes all the way through the Bible, this number 40 and what that means. And a few years ago, we did a whole series during Lent uh, looking at this number 40 and the times it shows up in the Bible, at least some of those, and how uh, we looked at this as times of testing. And this is what is happening here is uh, we are seeing the 40 days and 40 nights that the rain is falling on the ground. And uh, this being the test of who is going to survive. And um, so we'll, yeah, we'll look at that. But you're right to mention, if verses 1 through 5, we're going to take this kind of in sections. Verses 1 through 5, this is, uh, this is where the number 7 shows up quite a bit. This is where we see every kind showing up quite a bit. This is where we see uh, males and females showing up quite a bit. Verses 1 through 5 kind of starts all of that. It's also where we get the uh, Lord commanding Noah. And what we have is a seven-day command. So we already have the ark having been built. Noah already did that. He's got the ark built. Um, By the way, is the ark a boat? This is one of those weird things. Uh, I would not call it a boat. <laughs> it's really the best way of uh, talking about what it is, is a box. And so when you talk about the Ark of the Covenant, it's the box where they keep stuff. Uh, even the basket that Moses was put in, in the now that actually the word for that is the same as the word for Ark, which is both for the box and this boat. It's all an Ark. It's all a box. And so he's put in a box on the water. Here, we have Noah and uh, all these animals being put in this box. Why do I say not so much a boat? I think of a boat more as having, you know, like a rudder or sails or oars or something that will actually give direction to it, not just be floating. This is just a floating box. Where are they going? Who's steering? (laughs) It's a floating box. And so Noah has already built this floating box, this ark, and now he gives this command, seven days, seven days from now, here's what's going to happen. And in this time, uh, he says, take with you all these animals, and if you are familiar with any of the artwork related to Noah's ark, you know that it's always two of every animal, right? That is not what it says, though, is it? Isn't that weird? How do we get this art that has two of every animal? How is it that every picture of the ark is like a boat with an elephant or two elephants and two giraffes sticking out the top? It's like every picture of the ark. I don't know. But every, um, it's seven pairs of every clean animal. One pair of every unclean animal. 
seven pairs of every kind of bird. Uh, these are the instructions that are given. This is the command that's given, and the reason for it is that seven days from now, he says in verse 4, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. But now wait a second. If he's going to wipe from the face of the earth every living creature he has made, what's with the floating box full of animals? This is um, in answer to the question that we had last week of how is it that God is going to both be faithful to judge the sin and wickedness, but also be faithful to his covenant promises that he's already made. You remember that uh, back with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, right after they have eaten from the fruit and we have this um, little trial going on, that is as a part of the judgment that is given, God says that, uh, that there will be someone who is born of a woman who is going to destroy the serpent. And by the time we get to Noah, that hasn't happened yet. Clearly that hasn't happened. And so the effects of uh, the evil one are just running rampant, and we have not yet had someone who's come to get rid of that. So how how does God judge sin and yet stay faithful to the promises he's already made? And this is it. He demonstrates that it is everything that deserves death, but that he is going to save life uh, for his own, his own graciousness and also uh, to be his own faithfulness. So this is the command that he gives. And of course, it's to save males and females because the purpose is not just to save this generation, but to allow for future generations. In verses 6 through 10, the seven-day command is carried out. You see basically the exact same thing we just saw commanded happening. And then after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In verses uh, 11 through 16, we see the, uh, the rains begin. All the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And as it falls... Where's the focus? The focus here is not on everything outside the ark. The focus here is everything that's inside the ark. That even though it is raining, there is still life. Because Noah listened to God, did what he said, built the ark, and is now in the ark. Life has been preserved at this point, even through the rain beginning. In other words, he listened to the forecast and he was not caught unprepared. And life goes on. Verses 17 through 20. Now we focus on the rain again. And the rains just keep coming and coming and coming. What we all experienced this last week was not 40 days, (laughs) though it may have felt like it. This is 40 days of constant flooding. 
to the point that it says that uh, the waters rose and increased greatly. They, ro- they, they rose, the waters rose. It just keeps on rising and rising until it says that it covers all of the high mountains, even covering the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. I have a footnote in my Bible saying that's about 23 feet for those of you not familiar and fluent in cubits. <laughs> 23 feet. Now think about this. Sometimes we think of uh, you know, illustrations of what it's like if we try to earn our way to heaven kind of thing. And we come up with things like it would be try- like trying to even if you're the best long jumper in the world, it'd be like trying to long jump over the Grand Canyon. You just can't do it. You know, that sort of thing. That's good as an illustration, but here is a biblical illustration of exactly this kind of thing. I want you to imagine that you are having to tread water. I can do that for a little while, even if you only dog paddle. You can tread water for a while. You can stay up. You can keep your head up above the water. And as the rain just keeps coming, though, even if it gets, even if you make it all the way to the top of the mountain, at some point, the rain gets above that 23 feet deep. That's deep. That requires treading water. And it says here that, it, you know, it's, the flood keeps coming for 40 days. But verse 24 says the water flooded the earth for 150 days. So even if you can tread water without food <laughs> for 40 days, you still have 110 days to go before the waters start receding. Now, anybody want to volunteer for that assignment? I don't think so. <laughs> and that's the point. That's the point of it being so much. It is just un doable. It's like, well, maybe if I really practice swimming. No, no, that's not it. The only thing that's going to save you here is if you are inside a box (laughs) that can float. If you have heard the forecast and if you've made preparations. And so verses 21 through 23 show that everything outside the ark Everything moving on land, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals, the creatures that move along the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Why does it just go over and over on that? I think it's just making the point. If you are not in the ark, you have no hope. That no matter what else you try to do, it's not going to work. And so outside the ark are the results of the sin and wickedness that was destroying the earth, and now it is being destroyed. And so outside the ark is death. End of verse 23, though, says, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. You hear this? Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark. That even throughout the flood, not just the rain starting, but even through the whole duration of the flood, there is still life for those who are in the ark. Now you may have noticed that there is quite a bit of uh, 
I've pointed out repetition, but it's not just repetition in this passage. A lot of the words and phrases that we are seeing repeated in this passage are the same words and phrases and ideas that we saw repeated in Genesis chapter 1. Go back and take a look. In Genesis chapter 1, what we looked at was God creating everything on purpose and for a purpose. We saw what was at the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see this formless and emptiness. And we saw when we looked at Genesis 1 that what God does is he forms what was formless and he fills what was empty. And so by the end, there is a place for everything and everything in its place. And what we see happening here is just at the end of, uh, as we saw at the end of Genesis 1, that God looks at everything and it's very good. At the start of chapter 7, it's not very good anymore, is it? And so we see the whole thing kind of work backwards until we get back to formless and empty and darkness over the surface of the deep. However, we've looked at a couple of numbers here, um, 40 being a number of testing, 7, which I didn't mention what 7 is, uh, 7 is a number of completeness, but there's another number here that's just implied. But it's the hint <laughs> of the hope to come. When it talks about those who are in the ark, how many people are in the ark? Well, there's, well, who all is it? There's Noah and his wife and his one, two, three sons and their one, two, three wives. How many are we talking about? <laughs> Eight. Anybody know what the number eight symbolizes in the Bible? New creation. New creation. So it is one more than seven. It is the start of another week. <laughs> and so uh, this is one of the things we talk about with um, the resurrection of Jesus being on the first day of the week in, on one, one hand, or you could look at it as being on the eighth day, the day of new creation. And so uh, when we see eight people being saved in the ark, I think there's something to that <laughs> as far as a hint of new creation, which we will look at next week as they get out of the ark, and we will look at how that does, just the same way that we saw the undoing of Genesis 1 here, when we look at Genesis 8, See, the redoing of Genesis 1 and a new creation. But of course, all of this is pointing us to Jesus, the resurrection, to the life after death, the life that is uh, sustained through the judgment. And the point that we see, or the lesson that we should learn from, uh, from Noah is that we are, on our own, cannot, cannot withstand the judgment of God for sin. It will destroy us. But we see Noah as someone who walked with God. And God gives him the forecast, and God gives him the way to be saved. 
And so by trusting in God and walking with him, Noah finds life even in the midst of the judgment of God. Jesus calls back to this story and says, this is what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns. That there will be people who are not aware of the forecast, who are not prepared. There will also be people um, who will have heard the forecast and will not be prepared. But as I mentioned earlier, we have a 40-day period right now that is kind of set aside in the church calendar to look at specifically this. How do we prepare? Of course, the answer is walking with God, right? This is what Jesus came to do, give us life with God. But it's easy to get off track. And so this is a 40-day period that has been set aside to look at the things in our own lives that tend to get us distracted or off track or maybe get in the way of our walking with God. And so we say, okay, I'm going to spend 40 days, even if it's a good thing, a good thing that's, <laughs> we've had a saying in our family for years, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Um, so you say, I've got this good thing. That it's, there's nothing wrong with this thing, but what is wrong is how it's getting in my way of my relationship with God. And so we say, well, how can I set that aside to put it back in its proper place as being merely a good thing and not an ultimate thing? How can I focus this 40 days on my walk with God that I will not be caught unprepared when that day comes? Now, there is uh, one other thing that we have to mention, <laughs> uh, and that is we, we don't live in the time of Noah, and we haven't been given the same job as Noah. Noah's job was build an ark. And we'll get these animals in there. There you go. The job that we have is Jesus says that he is going to build his church <laughs> and that we are to spread the good news. We are to spread the good news. In fact, uh, Peter tells us that um, Though we see a delay in the judgment of God coming on the sin of the world right now, some people will take that as, because it's never coming. Or we'll take it as, eh, he's just slow getting around to doing what he needs to do. Wish he would just hurry it up. He says neither of those is right. What is really the case is that he's patient, very patient, because he's wanting people to be saved, not wanting people to perish. And so as we look at our own um, walk with God, we have to recognize that a part of that walk with God is doing the things that he's given us to do. And one of the main things that he has given us to do is sharing the good news of Jesus with those who don't know. 
sharing the good news of Jesus with those who might otherwise be caught unprepared. We know the forecast, but knowing it is not enough if we don't make preparations. And so for, uh, for ourselves and for our neighbors, let's make the most of the time we have, never knowing how long that will be. Let's make the most of the time we have in our walk with Jesus and helping others to walk with him too. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.